I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed that a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Brothers and sisters, celebrating with us Reformation Sunday. The house is a mess. The kids are losing it. All of your pets are screaming. The oven is beeping. It's smoking. The fire alarm is going off. Where is your spouse during all this? They bust through the front door. They have a huge gift in their hand and a card. And you say, what, what's going on? And they say, honey, did you forget? It's the 10th anniversary of that time we were driving home from that soccer game and we both exploded at each other and had the worst fight of our lives. Didn't you know we had to celebrate that? The house, your family, is in utter chaos. There's noise, there's danger everywhere. And here your spouse comes bringing up old history and wanting to celebrate it. Is that how we look today? Us Christians, Protestants, Lutherans, as we celebrate the Reformation, a very controversial moment in church history, in world history. We're taking time to celebrate this fact that the church that was once one now is split into many different denominations. Doesn't that seem a little tone deaf? I mean, people are hurting. People are hungry for something good. or They are thirsty for some joyful message. And here we are digging up dead history. Is that really right? might seem like that's what's going on with our celebration of the Reformation. It might seem like that's what Paul is doing when he writes the letter to the Romans. The situation in Rome at this time was no more peaceful than it is now. It was no less chaotic than life is right now. People were hurting no less than people are hurting right now. And Paul's solution to that was to write a letter to the church was to pen some words, and he thought that that would solve the problem. People are hurting, they're guilty, they're in pain, they're stressed out, and Paul does doctrine. Because clearly these words are not dead to him. Doctrine is not something that is done in a secret room somewhere, but Paul believes, and I think we should do, that teaching, that doctrine has everything to do with the chaos in the world, and the chaos of our hearts. Let's see where Paul begins our lesson. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Where does Paul start? He starts with God's Law. Now, when we say law, we think regulations, we think commands, we think punishments for those commands. We think about a book somewhere, maybe a book of laws. You see a commercial where there's a lawyer and on, the, on his back wall are tons and tons of books, dead trees with markings on them. But when Paul talks about the law, he talks about a living being, something that pursues you, 
something that grabs you, something that puts you under its control. Paul is talking about God's law like the creature in a horror movie running after you. And what is it going to do when God's law catches up to you? Well, in a horror movie, the creature catches up to the characters and and kills them. And it's very scary and often very gross. When God's law catches up to you, it, it does something that is arguably worse than death. Many people are able to resolve themselves to death, to come to peace with death, but nobody, none of us, in the history of the human race is at peace with what God's law does to us when it meets us. It does something worse than death. It exposes our sin. And that is something we all share in common, right? The entire human race, nobody wants their sin to be exposed. None of us want those sinful thoughts that we had to be dragged out into the open. Nobody wants it to be exposed that those things that we did or said or or thought when we thought nobody was watching, actually God's law was watching the whole time and was keeping a tally. Because God's law is not like human law. Take speeding, for example. At some point, In human history, somebody drove their horse and buggy down a street and they were going really fast. And somebody in charge saw that happen and they said, hey, that's kind of dangerous. We should stop people from doing that. So they came up with a law of the speed limit. How safe is it for someone to drive or to ride their horse and buggy down the street to ensure the safety of other people? Human law is reactionary. You see something that's dangerous, we should make a rule about that. Now, what happens when a human government makes a law that absolutely nobody can follow? They change the law. If it becomes obvious that we have created a rule that nobody is able to follow, they change it. Here's the difference with God's law. God is not reactionary. It's not like he saw the human race committing adultery and murdering and stealing and dishonoring their father and mother It's not like he observed the the wicked condition of our hearts and he said, oh man, I should really do something about that. And that's how his law came about. No, God's law is the standard that was set that we were to meet from the very moment we were created. And we failed. God's law is not reactionary. This is God's holy, perfect will for us that we be holy, that we be perfect. And so when we interact, when we come toe-to-toe with God's holy and perfect law, we have no choice but to see how imperfect, how unholy we are. And God's not going to change his law just because we can't keep it. And so we come face-to-face with the fact that many of us spend our whole lives running away from. There is no excuse for our sin. There is no option but to just sit in silence and await punishment if we're going to stand before God on our own righteousness. A murderer can have all the explanations in the world for his murder, but none of them will be a good enough excuse. I have great explanations for my sins. I was hungry, I was angry, I was lonely, I was tired, but none of them will excuse a single 
one. So Paul says it blankly. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Now, my guess is, so far, not many of you disagree with what we've been saying. My guess is, so far, we've kind of done a little bit of review. You know, you know that God's law points out our sin. You know that it, it puts the spotlight on our guilt. We confess all the time, I'm a sinner, I don't deserve God's grace. That is our confession. We have said those words so many times. Nobody really, honestly, nobody says, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person, right? Nobody says, I deserve God to love me because of all the good stuff I have done. But here's the thing. There can be a big difference between the confession that you say and the confession that you live. Nobody says, I'm saved by my works. But don't we sometimes treat people like their worth depends on what they do? None of us have said, it's my job to fix the problem of my own sin. But haven't we all said at some point, if I can just beat this temptation, then maybe God will love me. Nobody says, I'm going to heaven because I'm such a good person. But don't we all slip into that perspective that God must like us because we belong to the right group? No, we, we know what to say with our mouths, but what is the confession that we live? Are we living the message that people need to be saved by their works? And that was Martin Luther's issue, wasn't it? That's what sprung him to bring up these issues, these 95 issues that he nailed on the door at the Castle Church in Wittenberg on October 31st, 1517. The church is teaching people Martin Luther observed that they can be saved by their works. And that's not in the Bible. Look at Romans 3. That's not what Scripture says. You cannot be saved by your works. The problem of the church at the time was not that it was piling too many demands on people, but not enough. Because if you're going to make your righteousness your own project, it's not a matter of just doing a couple things, buying some indulgences, going to Mass here and there. Then you have to obey the entire law of God. You have to be absolutely perfect. So minimizing God's law into a couple rules to follow, it's not going to cut it. It's kind of like a king or a general giving a rousing speech to the, his horseback knights, getting them motivated to go into battle. But as soon as they ride, they go directly off of a cliff. You can listen to a sermon. You can read a book. You can, you can interact with someone who's very influential. But if they're pointing to you to your works, the secret sauce is you doing one to 15 things to fix your own life. They are preparing you for your spiritual death. No one will be justified by works of the law. But now, apart from the law, 
the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Given by faith, justified, redemption. Brothers and sisters, these are not dead words hidden away in history. These are living and active words for you and me. What do these teachings Paul is bringing before us have to do with the confusion, the chaos, the violence of the human race? Well, he diagnoses the problem correctly. Anyone who says that the problems in your heart, the temptations you face, or the things that you observe, the evils of others, are just things that we need to work on and we can get to a point where we no longer sin, they're not addressing the problem as it is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see that, you know it. But here's God's solution to that problem. He gives. He loves. He forgives. God is not deceptive. He doesn't establish his holy law for us to follow and then say, ah, you can't do that, that's okay. I'm just going to forgive you real quick. No, the demands are there that we be holy, but since we can't, he sent Jesus to be holy in our place. God was not going to dummy down his law to, into a version that we can actually obey. Instead, he sends Jesus to obey it for us in our place. The sins that we committed, the, the guilt that we worked up on our own behalf deserves punishment, and that's why Jesus was punished in our place. Paul says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. The world now is sinful, is chaotic, is a mess, but it has been for a very long time. What did God do before Christ, before the sacrifice on the cross? He waited. He promised. He kept holding his promise out for his people, and he left sins unpunished. God has never given us exactly what our sins deserve. He has always displayed mercy. So that whether you lived before Christ or after Christ, we together, across human history, can look as, at the cross as the moment our sins were paid for. We were justified. But this didn't happen off in some part of the world. At some point in dead history, God makes it alive to you through faith. Just like I could tell you that if you go to the Caribbean and get a mango, it's going to be one of the most delicious fruit you've ever had. Or I could personally bring you one and let you experience it for yourself. God doesn't just tell you the facts of Jesus as your Savior. He gives you faith to experience it yourself. That's right. Even 
faith. Even the fact that you believe in Jesus is a gift from God. What did God do at your baptism? He gave. What is God going to do for members of Trinity in a couple minutes when we receive communion together? He's going to give. What does God do every time you interact with his truth? He gives. He gives. He gives. He strengthens your faith. He reminds you of your justification. He forgives all over again. God is constantly giving. This is how he answers our greatest needs. Brothers and sisters, people are so sick of being told to care what humans think. People are so sick, whether they realize it or not, of being told to obey human beings' rules, to try to matter to human beings, how powerful it is, you Lutherans, to live your confession that God has saved us by his grace alone. The person whose opinion matters most, he has declared his love for us on the cross. People are in pain. They are hungry for something good. They are thirsty for something joyful. How important and powerful it is when Lutherans live our confession by sharing the free grace of Jesus on the cross to everyone. But Paul concludes, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Because we are saved by God's grace through faith alone, there's no reason I need to hold myself on a higher pedestal than you. Because I'm a sinner who's saved by God's grace just like you are. Therefore, Reformation Sunday is not the Sunday, not our chance to pound our chest and say, wow, the Lutherans got it, we're so great. It's not a day to celebrate the controversy because we love controversy and conflict so much. But Reformation Sunday is the chance for us to enjoy once again the question that started it all. When Martin Luther asked, what does Scripture say? People will ask you that question. They're asking you right now. Maybe not in those same words. Maybe somebody will say, hey, what does the Bible say about this or that issue? And I pray God give you spirit and wisdom to be able to answer that. But people are watching. That question is on their mind. They're watching to see if you confess just with your mouth or if you live with your, live your confession. They're watching you to see if you respond to your own flaws, your own sin, your own failures, as one who is grateful that we have a God of grace, or as if it's your job to solve that problem yourself. They're watching you to see if you truly believe that everyone is saved by God's grace alone, and so you don't treat people based on their works or their worth to you personally, but by the measure of God's grace. They're watching you to see if your faith to you is a trust relationship with God or just a church, a club that you belong to, people are watching. And so show them. Let them watch. Show them that you live your confession. Show them that faith alone to you 
not a dead artifact to be discussed in some room somewhere with theological elites and systematized and put into books, but faith alone is something to live because faith alone is faith alive. Amen.